Hey, we are on embarking on a great journey. The last uh, number of weeks, uh, we've been talking about the fun topic of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, just a nice, easy topic to digest in this season. But it has been, it has been very helpful. To who has this sermon been helpful? To who has it been hurtful? Yeah, it's for me. It's been helpful and hurtful. Uh, but it's a good hurt. Uh, it's the kind of hurt you need uh, to live the life that God's called you to live. Um, sometimes you need to hear what it is God's trying to say to us. And if you weren't in the uh, uh, miss, uh, if you weren't in the uh, service this morning, I highly recommend get get that sermon in you, Pastor Sam preach an incredible message, and that could be the most helpful information I give you tonight. Uh, but we are in for a good night, I pray. Uh, for those who uh, this is the first time seeing this face, I am Scott. Uh, I hope you like it. Um, if not, you're stuck with it for the next half an hour, so get used to it. But uh, we are on an incredible season as a church, Heart Week. God's doing great things right across the city. But tonight I want to pick up on this idea and carry on the whole thing of pride and prejudice, but really looking at um, the, the whole thing that often I realize that life gives you, especially church, gives you great opportunities to deal with your pride. Uh, it gives you great like, e-group, uh, great opportunity to deal with your pride. Like I thought I was turning up for the snacks. And now I've got to open up my heart. <laughs> so I wasn't ready for that, but church gave me the opportunity for that. You know, opportunity to deal with my pride. You know, uh, I've realized dancing publicly is a great opportunity to deal with my pride. Uh, if you dance anything like me, it's always a good opportunity to deal with it right there. And then uh, the other area I've actually found is a good way to deal with pride is uh, getting married. Uh, getting married helped me deal with my pride. Uh, and, you know, one of the things, getting, the thing about getting married is, is like you, you do life. So for me, I did life for 25 years in one way. Uh, and then you get married to someone else, and it's like the coming together of two lives, so you move in together, and you realize that not everyone's grown up the way you've grown up, and everyone has their own ways of doing things, and you soon find that out when you get uh, married, and the real question is whose way is going to yield to the other person's way. I, I remember one morning, uh, you know, just making toast, just minding my own business, and uh, making toast, and I go to just innocently put the peanut butter in the fridge, and uh, my uh, everyone's like, what's wrong with you? Uh, hey, blame my parents, all right? They taught me. Uh, and, and my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, putting the peanut butter in the fridge. Because <laughs> that's where peanut butter goes. It's like a cold pantry. Uh, and she's like, it, it, no, it belongs in the cupboard. I'm like, in the cupboard? Goes in the fridge, and this is a, and I'm, she's like, no, it belongs in the cupboard, and and then she'll say things like, this. She, she said to me, oh, that's different, and uh, whenever she said things to me that that was different, it meant that's wrong. Ah, uh, it took me a while to learn. Uh, I remember folding the washing one day, and she walks in, why are you folding it like that? I'm like, because this is how you fold washing, and she's like, oh yeah, that's different. Uh, and, and the real question was, I had grown up with a way of doing things. Um, uh, the realization that the way I did it sometimes was the right way. Uh, but there's also a way of doing things that it's like, uh, and there comes a point where I'm like, this is just the way I, this is the way I fold washing. And it's like, yeah, but it's not the right way. And, and there comes a point, even with pride, where it's like the realization that my way might not always be the right way. Uh, but we love to, especially if you're a little bit stubborn, uh, is we like to think my way is the right way. But I've come to realize with God, I don't need to just surrender my heart. I also need to surrender my ways. 
that God, I give you my heart, but God, I also give you my ways. And God, whatever ways aren't your ways, God, help me deal with those. And God, whatever, and because there's some areas in my life where we get it right. And I'm like, I got raised in the right way of thinking there. And it's a great thing when the only way you know how is the right way. You know, I remember on Revolution Tour taking a bunch of uh, guys are all quite young out to a small town to do some stuff. And uh, most of them have been raised in equippers or either saved in equippers, so discipled in equippers. And equippers has a way of doing prayer meetings. It's like someone gets up and says, this is what we're praying for. And everyone's just like, all right, let's get in and pray. And everyone just prays out loud all together. And now uh, I grew up in a church where prayer meetings weren't that way. Prayer meetings were more like, like one person prays, then two minutes goes by, someone else prays, and then two minutes goes by. And someone starts snoring, you know, like that kind of that kind of prayer meeting. And and, and, and so I, that's how I grew up. I came into the Clippers, and then someone's leading a prayer meeting, and they're like, "All right, let's all pray." And everyone's like, "In the name of Jesus," walking around. And I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, what's everyone doing?" It's uh, not how it works. Anyway, we're in this small town, and there's a lady we're eating dinner, and she goes, "Oh, we're just going to pray for tonight, and I pray that God moves." And so she goes. Let's just pray for salvation. So the team just stand up and they're like, all right, God, we pray for salvation. <laughs> you know, like this guy, and her face is like, what the heck is going on? Like, and I, I, I noticed it because I grew up in this similar type of church. And so I walked over to her and I said, oh, sorry, that's the only way these guys know how to do prayer meeting. <laughs> and, but I love the fact it was like the only way they knew how to do prayer meeting was passionate. Like the only way they knew how to do to pray for salvation is we just go all in. It's like they didn't know, oh, we just reserve ourselves and when it's our time. No, it was, I love the fact it's like the only way they know how is to just go all in for God, just to pray. And what a great thing is when the only way I know how to do this life with God is all in. The only way I know how to do what God has called me to do is with full passion. That's why I love the early church and the early disciples because you see them, their ministry and it's like, man, the only way they knew how to respond was just all in for God. It was like they'd get beaten up, and then they're like, praise Jesus. Let's go again. They didn't know any other way. They were just like, if I'm following Jesus, I'm all in. Everything's in. I'm, I'm just all in. If I'm in a jail cell, I'm all in. If I'm walking down the road, I'm all in. If I'm getting accused wrongly, I'm all in. And regardless of what life threw at them, their response was the only way they knew how was, God, we love you. Jesus, you're great. God, grace us, but we're going to continue to push, push in faith. It's the only, the only way I know how. And the problem is sometimes we know ways that aren't the right way. Like I know the way of complaining. I'm quite skilled in it, actually. I know the way of getting annoyed. You know, it's like I go to get things from God or I go to praise God or God, something happens in my life. I'm really good at knowing the way of complaining. I'm really good at knowing the way of doubting. I'm really good at knowing these other ways, but it's like, no, actually, I've got to surrender my ways. And go, God, what's the response I should respond with? God, I'm willing to yield my ways to take hold of your ways for my life. And, you know, I, I remember I had a friend... I've shared this before, but uh, a friend that was blind in, in one eye, and I brought him to this event, and um, it was a horrific time. Anyway, good thing happened at the end of it is uh, he came up, uh, never been in church, didn't know God, but he came up, and uh, he came up for prayer because the guy was at the front was like, if you 
After all this stuff went on, was like, in my Bible, blind people can see again, deaf people can hear again. Even the dead could walk again under the power of Jesus. And he said, come forward if you need to touch a God. Everyone's coming forward, and my friend steps out of the seat and walks forward. I'm like, dude, you don't even know what you're going to. And anyway, he's like, the guy said it, I'm going down the front. And he's walking down the front, and... Uh, and he's walking down the front, and he gets to this moment where he just falls forward and just hits the ground. Like, he hadn't been in church long enough, so he didn't know the etiquette. Like, if you're going to fall, wait until someone's standing behind you and fall nicely. Like, he hadn't learned that. He was just like, the power of God hit the floor. Right? And so he walks forward, and he hits the floor, and uh, he hits him on the ground. And then he stands up, because he hadn't learned you've got to stay down long enough so it looks more holy. And so he just stands back to his feet, and he opens his eyes, and, and, and he, he was blind in his right eye, but in that moment, he could see it again. It was like the healing power of God just came. He comes running back to me and he's slapping his eye like a crazy man. He's like, I can see. And I get back to the hotel and I'm 16 years old. And I'm looking at the roof like, God, I've heard all the stories, but now I know you're real. <laughs> and I was like, man, God, you're real. And it was interesting watching people's response to that situation. His family didn't know about God. We're just taking them to this event with us. And so we had to go home and be like, hey, you know, your son who had a blind eye, he can see again. <laughs> and uh, we had to talk him through, and they were like amazed. And people at school were like amazed at what went on. It was, it was amazing. And it was actually interesting watching different responses, but there's one response that kind of got me. Uh, and I'm on the school bus, and we're talking about this situation. And, and this girl who doesn't believe in God because she hasn't been raised in the, in the ways, so she just has no paradigm of God and doesn't want to believe in it. Uh, it. She tries to rationalize what God did into a way she could understand it. And, and, and so her reasoning came out like this. Was, oh, well, what I think happened is when he was walking forward, because I told the story, when he was walking forward and he fell forward, he hit his head on the ground. And when he hit his head on the ground, something rattled. And which meant he could see again. <laughs> and I'm like, you know someone grew up in the 90s if that's what they believe. Because if you grew up in the 90s, you had a dad that when the TV was broke, you just whack it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's going on, just whack it. <laughs> and the TV works again. Or, or like the computer's playing up. I just whacked the computer. It was like a whack fixed everything. Like the kids are playing up. I just whack, you know. It's a, yeah, yeah. You grew up in the 90s if you think a whack fixes everything. And there's this girl who's just like, well, 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 this is what must have happened. And there, there came this point where, and this is what we do, just not to the same extreme. We don't understand what God is doing. So we try and take what God is doing and filter it through our way of thinking to try and rationalize it. Instead of yielding our ways and saying, God, I don't understand it. But God, change my way, change my thinking, change my life to understand. The danger is we want to pull what God is doing down to what we can understand instead of allowing God to lift us to a point where we can understand what God is doing. There's stuff going on in your world right now that you don't fully understand, and you're trying to rationalize it through your ways. But what happens if your ways aren't right? And so God's challenging your ways to see a greater way, a different way, a better way. You know, I want to look at a, a passage of Scripture tonight. And uh, it's found in Mark 10. It's a blind Bartimaeus is a story. Many of us will be familiar with it. But, um, you know, like I mentioned when I got married and, and even this girl, the problem with all this is sometimes we struggle to just say, I think I'm, I think I'm wrong. 
I think the way I do things is wrong. I think the way I think is, is wrong. But the good news is the Bible gives us stories to help us to think right, to understand. And this is a story like that. Actually, in Mark 10, verse 46, it's the last story, a miracle story written before Jesus goes into Jerusalem and starts the whole, Mark starts talking about what God is going to do on the cross and Jesus, the whole gospel situation. It's the last miracle story that's, that's recorded before Jesus heads into all this. And it suggested that potentially Mark put it last or put it right then or made a point of it or Jesus did it right then because it's a story that kind of sums up how you should respond to Jesus. He's like, here's all these stories this is what God's about to do. And right in the middle, before I tell you, here's just a story that will kind of sum up our healthy response to God, to life, and to Jesus. And so we find this passage here in Mark 10, verse 46, and it says, And they, then they came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting on the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said to him, said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. It's an incredible story. In fact, if you see his blindness as a figure of sin, the story really goes, is a man in a condition of sin and then the man started to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, cried out for mercy. Although pressure came around him, Jesus called him to him. He pleaded for mercy. Jesus gave him salvation, and then the man committed his life to following Jesus. That's the story of blind Bartimaeus. That's how we're supposed to respond to what Jesus did on the cross. I acknowledge my sin, Jesus. I need your help. Life has things coming at me, and the mercy and grace of God comes into my life, and then I commit my life to following Jesus. That's how we're supposed to respond to what God did on the cross. But there's some areas that I just want to look at is that some of the responses that Bartimaeus had to make. The first response was the response to pressure. When he calls out to Jesus and he doesn't get the answer he was hoping for. When he calls to Jesus and all he gets is rebuke. His response in that moment where it seems like I'm crying to God but the pressure is building. Where I'm calling for breakthrough, but the breakthrough just seems to be further and further away. How do you respond in that moment? Because it's easy to respond to God when everything's going great. But how do you respond to God when it seems like God goes silent? When it seems like the answer isn't coming? When it seems like, like you don't quite get what God is doing, how do you respond in that moment? Because the response about a mass was just a praise. He's like, well, I called to God. I didn't get the answer I thought from God. So, oh, well, what I should do in this situation is just praise a little more. Just call out to Jesus a little bit more. His response under pressure was just to seek God all the more. And I know my response isn't always like that. Sometimes we respond with running. Sometimes we respond with hiding. <laughs> Sometimes you respond of isolation. Sometimes you respond of, oh, well, just do it on my own effort. 
Bartimaeus' response under pressure was to praise. Was to praise. Which leads me to the question, who told Bartimaeus about Jesus? Because he was blind, he didn't see him for himself. So someone had to share the story. Someone had to tell him about Jesus. And whoever told him about Jesus, told him about a Jesus that, hey, you might have to call a few times, but if you keep on calling, Jesus comes through. Hey, things might not turn out the way you thought they're going to turn out, but if you keep on calling, you can trust in this Jesus. This Jesus will come through. I've seen him doing it with Zacchaeus. I've seen him doing it with other people. I've seen him doing it with this lady that was the issue of blood, but she just kept on pushing, and eventually she found in God what he, what he and so Bartimaeus hears, and he's like, okay, I hear that Jesus is nearby. Although I haven't got the response, I just keep on pushing. I keep on believing. I keep on pursuing, and I know God is coming through. Whoever told him didn't tell him about discouragement. They left that part out. Hey, when you don't get what you thought you were going to get, get discouraged. They left that part of the story out. Oh, when you don't get what you thought you were going to get, get it, just let go of your dream. Just maintain, shrink back. He didn't get told that. But life has told us that. When it doesn't go our way, Throw our toys out of the cot. See, some of us have been raised in ways. Although it might be the only way you know right now, it's not always the way you should go. And the response here is when life, when, 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 when pressure comes on, praise gets louder. When pressure comes on, praise gets louder. Because is it possible that a blind man saw Jesus more clearly than anybody else? Although everyone else was physically able to see spiritually they were blind to who Jesus was. Whereas a blind man saw more clearly who Jesus was. In fact, the reason I say that is because the way Bartimaeus referred to Jesus when he walked to Jesus, and it says, Rabbi, have mercy on me. What, oh, Rabbi, I want to see. What, that word Rabbi, they've actually put it in Rabbi. Other translations change it around. But the word that was actually used there was, was Rabboni. Now, I don't know if that's how you're supposed to say it. But for the sake of tonight, that's how we're saying it. It sounds Italian, it's not. All right, Rabboni. All right? And what, 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 there's only one other point in the Bible when someone uses this word to refer to Jesus. And that moment is when Mary goes to the tomb after Jesus has been crucified and the tomb is empty. And then Jesus, as the gardener, reveals himself to Mary the response of Mary, Jesus re revealing his, his risen self to Mary, her response was Rabboni. That when she saw Jesus resurrected, her response was to use this word. But the only other person to use this word prior to that moment was a blind man who perhaps saw Jesus in a way that no one else had yet that a blind man saw more clearly who Jesus truly was. Why? Because faith comes from hearing. Perhaps what you see is what's blinding you. But for a man that is blind who can't see anything but can hear everything, here's the stories, here's the testimonies. His. I don't see what's going on, but I hear it because faith is built by what's heard. 
That's why I love the fact when Elijah stands before uh, the king to declare that rain is coming after a great drought, he doesn't say, I've seen rain coming. He says, I hear the sound of heavy rain. No one else could hear it, but Elijah could hear it in the spirit. He goes, no, I hear this rain coming. And he declares on what he hears, not on what he sees. See, a lot of us will declare once we see it. But God's calling us to declare what we've heard. And because he gets up onto the mountain and goes, hey, servant, go look because I hear rain. The servant's like, the dude's crazy. There ain't no rain. <laughs> there hasn't been for a long time. And so the servant goes back and is like, hey, there's no rain. But I just like, no, I hear it. I hear it. I still hear it. Six times. On the seventh time, he sees a cloud. He's like, well, it's a cloud. <laughs> he goes, hey, Elijah, I saw it. It's the size of my hand, really. It's only about this big. Elijah's like, that's it. A cloud? No, it's the sign that the rain's almost here. And because he had heard it, when he saw it, he saw it for what it truly was. Although he saw a seed, although he saw a cloud, he saw the storm coming. You see, often God will respond in seeds. But when we're just looking and not listening, we see the seed, but we don't hear the promise that's going to come from that seed. And so then we complain about the seed, but if you would hear what God wants to do with that seed, you wouldn't see just the seed. You wouldn't just see a cloud. Come on, you'd see the rain. But often we're looking where we should be listening. I'm looking for what God's going to do when I should be listening. God, what are you? And that's why a man that was blind saw Jesus more clearly because revelation came from what he heard. I've heard the stories. I've heard, maybe what I see is blinding me, but what I hear shows me, shows me God is coming through, shows me God's coming through. And that's why he can, you know, there's this moment where, where, where he gets rebuked and told to be quiet. And there's a lot to be made of who told him to be quiet. Some say it was the Pharisees because he was saying, Jesus, son of David, which was a, a name for Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, the, the one of God. So he was declaring Jesus, son of God. Jesus, you are king, you are Lord, you are savior. That was the declaration, but the Pharisees didn't want that declaration to come out because they doubted that Jesus was that. And so in their doubt, they tried to shut down his declaration. And I've come to realize that doubt is a great silencer. That as my doubt grows, my declaration shrinks. But I've come to realize as my declaration grows, my doubt shrinks. And I love the fact that they tried to silence in his doubt, but his declaration outweighed their doubt. I don't know about you. I do have some doubts in my life, but I have a greater declaration in my life. I, uh, if I just look at it, I can doubt it. But because of what I hear and what I declare, I see it for what God's called it to be. That's why we look at just like services like this. And Pastor Sam's like, come on, we've seen the city saved. And we're going to take this, you know, Auckland for Jesus. And you look around this room and you're like, really? Us? Yeah, us. Because this is just a cloud of what's to come. This is just a seed. And the reason we say that is not just what we're seeing. It's because we've heard it. We've heard God's calling it. We've heard God's enabling it. The other person that tried, could have tried to silence him was the disciples. The disciples, the reason being is because you had heard the disciples try and stop people from getting to Jesus before. Hey, kids, don't bother Jesus right now. 
hey, just, just leave him right now. He's doing his thing. It amazes me. They're like, hey, 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 you're not, you're not to bother Jesus. Well, who are they to bother Jesus? See, they've even forgotten what they got called from. I'm like, Matthew, a tax collector, undeserving to even be a disciple, undeserving to be in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus arrests his life and saves him and calls him in that moment. But three years down the track, he's forgotten he didn't deserve it himself. He's forgotten what God did for him. So now he's like, hey, I wonder if the Matthew that got saved and a month later after embarking with Jesus had seen Bartimaeus and heard him calling, whether he would have not tried to silence him, but gone and got him. Hey, man, my life was like yours. I didn't deserve Jesus. I had made a mess. My life was, but if I can get you to Jesus, Jesus can sort it all out. But three years in now, he's kind of like, hey, hey, just don't bother Jesus. Us disciples spend time with Jesus. And the complacency, they had forgotten what God had done for them. And I've come to realize when I forget what God has done for me, my declaration of what God can do for others gets quieter. That's why the Bible is such a great thing, because it's stories of what God has done. Because if we can remember what God has done, we can declare what God is going to do. Well, you did it then, God. You're going to do it now, God. God, we saw it happen then. We're going to see it again. That's why remembering what God has done. But the disciples have forgotten the journey they had gone on, so now they're not even believing for others to experience the same thing. And the other person that could have tried to silence them was the crowd. Just a crowd of people. Say, hey, we're all trying to get something from Jesus. What makes you so special? So the crowd trying to silence. Who do you think you are? Why do you think you're any better than the rest of us? I don't know. Growing up in New Zealand, that teacher, you get taught that pretty well. Hey, don't make a fuss. Status quo. Normal life. Get the house. Do the thing. Finish the study. Whether it's three years or five years, it doesn't matter. Just finish it. And this, this, the remain, but he's like, no, I'm going to get something from Jesus. I'm going to get something from God. I'm going to not just come under the status quo. I'm not going to just come under what God is doing. I'm going to go after and I'm going to get what God has for me. It's like, who do you think you are? Well, I'm chosen. I'm destined. I'm created by God, for God, and with a plan from God. And so I'm going to go after what God has called us to do. But life will go, who do you think you are? Pull out your failures. You know, you, the, I mean, people don't say that to you because that's mean. You say it to yourself. Because you're meaner to yourself than you are to others. And, 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 and it's like, who, who do you think you are? Remind yourself of all the mistakes. But Jesus is like, no, just keep on calling. Just keep on praising. Just keep on seeking. Just keep on moving. The other response he had to make was the response to the call of Jesus. Jesus calls him forward. The response he makes in this moment is to throw off his cloak and to go to Jesus. 
Now, if you've heard this sermon, uh, this passage preached before, you've probably heard this thought before around the fact that he had to throw off his comfort from his last season to pursue the core that God was taking him in and the new season. I have to throw off the comfort from my last season to pursue the core that God has for me in the next season. The problem is sometimes we want to take the comfort from the last season into the core God has for us, but we can't sustain the core with the comfort from the previous. And so often we're going to throw off what was comforting me in my brokenness. I now need to throw that aside and pursue God because he will come comfort me in the call. He will comfort me. And so I don't look to old comforts. I pursue the call and the trust that the Spirit of God would bring me the comfort, would bring me the trust. But often we're trying to take the old comforts into the new life. And it just doesn't work. So he throws off the cloak. He comes to Jesus. And then we find this thing when Jesus says this to him. He says, what do you, what do you want me to do? for you. I just love how respectful God is. That he has all this on for offer, the grace, glory, mercy, goodness, but still allows humanity to respect the same. What do you want me to do for you? I've got this on for offer, but I, I don't want to give it unless you want it. That's the beauty of salvation. Jesus went on the cross, created the way, but then he says, hey, do you want it? I offer you the, the honor and respect of free will for you to choose this. Jesus in front of, uh, in front of Bartimaeus says, I know exactly what you need, but what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I love the response of Bartimaeus because he didn't just go to surface level. He went to his deepest need. Everyone else, he asked for money, he asked for help, he asked for bread, but for Jesus, I want healing. Your image, your view of Jesus, your prayer is a great reveal of what you believe about Jesus. It's a great reveal of what you believe about Jesus. Because he only asked of Jesus what he believed Jesus could deliver for him. See, if we, if we were to audit our prayer life, what are you asking of Jesus? Because sometimes you're not asking God from your deepest need because you're not fully convinced that he can supply it. He can deliver on it. He can come through with it. Your prayer reveals your image of God. But Bartimaeus held an image of Jesus that no one else held. So he went to his deepest need and said, Jesus, I don't want anything other than this. And lays it out before Jesus. The interesting thing is, is Jesus offers us the respect of asking us, but we don't always offer the respect of allowing Jesus time to answer us. So what I mean by that is the rich young ruler earlier on in this passage comes to Jesus and says, how must I inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him an answer, but it's an answer the rich young ruler didn't want to hear. And so he walks away from Jesus. That he, Jesus gave him the respect of allowing him to ask, but the rich young ruler wouldn't give Jesus the respect of allowing him to answer. And I think that's sometimes how we treat our prayer life with Jesus. It's like I, I come to God to ask him for what I want, but I don't ask him enough to let him tell me of what I actually need. It's like, it's like the, the two disciples, even prior to this passage, got asked the same question, and their answer was, well, can we sit on either side of you in your glory? And he's like, you don't, know what I'm, you don't know what you're asking. But that's not an answer they liked. Sometimes Jesus doesn't give us answers we like, but he'll give us the answer we need. But sometimes we don't respect God enough to listen to the answer we need. We're just searching for the answer we want. It's like I come to God with suggestion, not question. 
like we, we ask, but we already ask with the answer in mind of what we, like, God, should I do this? Yeah. God didn't say anything, so I'm going to do it. It's like, no, God was speaking and you weren't listening. You know, people are like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I remember when God called me, you know, to leave a whole lot of stuff on. It's like, oh, <laughs> something I didn't want to hear. It was something I needed to hear. And sometimes God will respond to your question with not the answer you thought. But His ways are greater than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So any answer God brings back to you is always better and greater for you than what you even went to Him for. And it takes a respect to answer God and say, well, my response to Jesus is here's my deepest need, God. Because I love the fact that Jesus says, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? But how often do we give God the respect to say, now, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? I got from you what I came to get from you. Now, God, what can I do for you? How should I give my life for you? But we don't often hang around long enough to ask that question. Because once we've got what we want, we're out the door and carrying on. But if we would just stop, and this is the last thing is, Joshy comes, is uh, the last response is the response to his healing. His response to his healing. Uh, I love the fact that in his response to his healing, he carries on pursuing Jesus. Now, Bartimaeus is, is, is named in the Bible. A lot of the miracles aren't. When Jesus healed somebody, a lot of their names aren't. And Bartimaeus, Mark actually only, only talks about one or two others in terms of using their name and identifying. And it is believed in a way that the reason he used Bartimaeus' name is because Bartimaeus continued to be part of the Christian, uh, the Christian fellowship, the Christian way, the Christian belief, actually even suggested that he could have become uh, known amongst the Christian community because of what he was going on to do. And so when they tell the story of Bartimaeus, Mark, is right, hey, Mark writes, hey, you know Bartimaeus? Like he's the guy in the e-group. You know, he's doing that. Yeah, he was once blind, and here's the story. Perhaps the reason we don't hear of many other people's names is because once they got from God, what they came to God for, they carried on their own way. And so when Mark's like, okay, I need to write about this deaf guy that he is. Oh, I think his name was Henry. Oh, well, there's no point putting his name. <laughs> Henry potentially could have been his name. Highly doubt it, but it's the name that came to my mind. And so I don't know if the Holy Spirit or just the third service. Uh, and he, um, there's no point in even putting Henry's name in because no one knows who Henry is because no one even knows where Henry is. He got healed, but we never heard of him again. The response of Bartimaeus is once he got healed, he committed fully to the journey of Jesus. See, sometimes we want to come to God enough to get what we want to get. But what are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with what God has given you? With what God has placed in your life? What are you doing with it? Because the life of Bartimaeus was, you know what? I'm not just coming for healing. God, Jesus, I'm coming to you for life. I'm coming to you for a relationship. God, I'm coming to commit myself to you. And his response to his healing showed that his heart was in a place where it's just, Jesus, my life is yours. My life is yours. You know, just as we finish off, I really always want to ask you a question tonight is how you're responding to Jesus. 
How's your response? How's your response under pressure? How's your response to the call? How's your response to the blessing God has put in your life? Are you responding in the way God's calling us to respond? Or perhaps there needs to be a laying down and a letting go of my ways. You know, I love this, the reason, the, the, this, how Bartimaeus had the keep shouting. Like it wasn't like he shouted and God answered. And part of the reason I believe perhaps Jesus did this is because, now, this isn't doctrine or anything, it's just an idea I have, all right? So go with me on it. Is if Jesus had answered him with the first shout, I wonder if Bartimaeus would have had the faith to take hold of what Jesus was wanting to give him. Because it says your faith has made you well. And so there was a faith inside Bartimaeus that activated the healing that was inside of Jesus. But I wonder if Jesus had called him off the first shout. Because I don't know about you, when praise starts, when my praise starts, when my prayer starts, it normally starts about, about here. But the more I praise, the more I declare, the greater my, my faith becomes. And so perhaps Jesus let Bartimaeus call on the name of Jesus multiple times because every time he called, his faith grew. And what we see as a de delay is actually the grace of God for us to develop. We think God's delaying us when God's actually developing us. He says, hey, pressure's gonna come, but it's gonna develop you. And if I can develop you, when you meet with me, you can take from me. Because I wonder if, if, if you just gone first time, oh, what do you want from me? Oh, well, I heard you did this fish thing with the bread. I'm pretty hungry. Did you do that again? Who knows what he would have asked for? But by the time he got in front of Jesus, it's like, this guy's got my healing because his faith has grown. His faith has grown. His faith has grown. I wonder if he heard every rebuke, not as a rebuke, but just a sign that God's getting closer. Every time that, well, I was shouting before, but no one said nothing. But now I'm shouting, everyone's telling me to shut up. Must mean Jesus is close. I better keep on yelling. I better keep on shouting. I better keep on declaring. I better keep on Perhaps the fact that you're believing, you're praying, you're pushing, and it just seems like the pressure is growing is because the miracle's closer, because God's closer, because God's coming through. And the response is sometimes the flight. The response is sometimes the run. When actually the response needs to be, when I get under pressure, my praise goes louder. When I get under it, my declaration when doubt sinks in my declaration rises above because that's the God I serve a God that does not let me down do you believe in the Jesus Bartimaeus believed in